Welcome to Hearsay Social on the Air, episode 18. Coming to you from our world headquarters in San Francisco, welcome to Hearsay Social on the Air. I'm Victor Gaxiola. I'm Ronnie Kerr. So I'm excited about today's podcast, Ronnie, because Stephanie Sammons is an old friend. I've known her now from the very beginning. I mean, shortly after I left the independent space, started working in financial social media, uh, Red 7 Marketing, working out of my home, trying to get into the space. And she was one of the first people that I really got to know who was really making a huge difference in financial social media. And what's really exciting is uh, Stephanie is the CEO and founder of WiredAdvisor.com. But in addition to that, she's a writer, she's a speaker, and she's a podcaster. And she started her podcast, Wired Advisor, also available on iTunes and Stitcher. And I started listening to it. And we were kind of following a similar format. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, can we say that that was some inspiration behind our own podcast, um, seeing as how she was already doing it? And, and she had a great program. Well, it was inspirational and it was also very validating because, like I said, us occupying the same space and her having very... Uh, you know, similar thoughts as it relates to digital technologies and the importance of blogs and using social networks to kind of leverage your thought leadership. When she started her podcast in and around the same time we were kind of developing ours, for me, it was like validating. It's like, hey, we're on the right track because if Stephanie's yep. doing this, That's right. then then I know there's an audience for it and there's certainly an appetite for the information. So excited to bring to you our interview with Stephanie Sammons from Dallas, uh, where she dialed in and uh, we had a conversation with her. So without further ado, here is Stephanie. So I've been looking forward to this podcast for quite some time because joining us uh, from the phone in Dallas, Ronnie, is a good friend, Stephanie Sammons from wiredadvisor.com. So Stephanie, so glad to have you on the call. Well, thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. And I'm excited that you're podcasting. Yeah, well, we're excited about your podcast. So as I mentioned in the previous show, if you haven't already downloaded, you've got to go to Wired Advisor, uh, look it up on iTunes. I also know that you're on Stitcher. Download it. It's part of my iTunes uh, selection. I listen to your show religiously when it comes out, I think once a week or so. You've got great guests, and we're kind of doing a lot of the same things, but it's really all about elevating, if you will, the you know raising the bar in financial social media. So just by way of getting started, why don't we start with you sharing a little bit about yourself for our listeners, and then tell us about the work that you're doing today. Okay, great. Um, yeah, so my company or my brand is Wired Advisor, as you mentioned, and Essentially, what I'm, what I'm focused on today is helping professionals, financial professionals included, with this concept of building their digital influence. And so it's, it's kind of all-encompassing when you look at the online space or the digital space. So it's their presence, their website, their content strategy, their, uh, how they how they leverage social networks and social media. Um, but it's, it's really, a, um, I take a pretty holistic, comprehensive approach to the whole process. And so that's what we do. You know, Wired Advisor, we, we help business professionals build digital influence. Right. And you 
have worked in the industry before because you and I, like I said, have known each other for a while. And one of the things that really allowed us to kind of, you know, relate to each other is that we had both worked in the financial services industry. So can you share a little bit of your background as to when you got involved in the business, when you worked in the business, and then what transitioned into Wired Advisor? Yeah, absolutely. So I started in the business in 1995. Uh, I got hired at Merrill Lynch. Um, I was one of the only women uh, in the office at the time, and I had been a high school teacher for two years prior to that. So I came right out of college, uh, went back to my hometown, became a teacher there at my high school, and then um, I met a Merrill Lynch financial advisor, and I was just fascinated by the business. And I didn't realize, you know, that there was even such a, a career path like that out there. And so um, I had majored in economics in college, and I had the background for it. And then, obviously, I knew how to teach. And so that's what led me into the business. I did not get hired the, the first time, uh, the first year I went for an interview, and I, the, the Merrill Lynch director at the time said, eh, you're just, you're too young, you're not ready, come back in a year. And so I did, you know, and I really prepared myself for that entire year of how I was going to tackle that interview and, and get hired. And so I did, I got hired in 95, became a financial advisor and I was in the business or the industry until 2009 and I was also probably half of that time in a uh, management leadership role. So I managed a couple of branches, um, but I always kept my clients and also, you know, managed those relationships at the same time so that I could stay in the trenches and understand what advisors were going through, you know, even being in a leadership role. And so I left the business in 2009. I left Merrill Lynch. Uh, here in Dallas, where I'm based. And I, you know, I gave up my book of business. I ended up taking a package. We all know what happened in 09. It was just a disaster for the industry and um, really tough times. And so I just was, you know, I was burned out. I was ready to make a change. And I, I always loved the business development side of being a financial advisor, the marketing, mm -hmm. the strategy, the psychology of getting a potential client uh, who's sitting in front of you to, yes, you know, getting them to trust you, building influence with those prospects and building that trust to win the business. And then, you know, once I won the business, I was kind of bored with that. So I was one of those advisors that really outsourced all of my asset management hmm. and spent the majority of my time figuring out how to get in front of people and how to close the sale, basically. And so I ended up starting my company, Wired Advisor. Uh, I really debated, you know, I'm, I'm still a certified financial planner, and I really debated on hanging out my shingle and just kind of running a small practice. And uh, like I said, I was just kind of burned out. So I wanted to do something different, and this whole Internet thing was just taking off. Social media was starting to become a real force. And I thought, gosh, you know, it's not going to be long before prospective clients start researching 
advisors that they might want to work with online. You know, they're going to go to Google and they're going to start trying to find information and do their homework and piece these things together before they make a decision. And that's what I was really interested in. And this is how Wired Advisor began helping financial advisors build their online reputation to prepare for this. You know, and as social media continued to grow and the Internet continued to grow, um, that's I just started it at the right time. Mm -hmm. So that's basically, you know, where I began. Yeah. And that time period, 08, 09, 2010, it was really a time of transition for a lot of people, Um, Kim and I included. I mean, it was in 2010 that that's when we decided to go independent and it was during that time of transition. And I think I came to some of the same conclusions that you did insofar as that I, I was hard-pressed to understand why an industry that really wants you to know your client, uh, to, to really have that relationship, would shy away from, from a tool or a platform like LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter that is you know, freely giving you a lot of this information to connect with your clients. And, uh, and that's when I left uh, the, the business myself, and that's when we got to know each other because I started Red 7 Marketing and really working in trying to find a way to be part of that conversation. And what I discovered, and I think that this is what led us to, to, to get to know each other, was it was a very small ecosystem of individuals who were actually having this conversation. So I, I was curious, now that we are you know, four or five years removed from that 2009, 2010 timeframe, what have been your observations and the changes that have taken place in the last five years as it relates to adoption and growth? Well, you know, I think the time when I entered into this space, about the same time you did or close to that, uh, it was very early, very, very early. And, you know, especially with the bigger firms, uh, the, the wirehouses, you know, they just were not able to do anything yet. Mm-hmm. And that's where the majority of financial advisors are employed. Um, that may not be the case forever, but it, it's, it still is today. And so um, I was really early, and the clientele that I was attracting, they were, I mean, on the bleeding edge. You mm-hmm. know, they were guys and gals, financial advisors who – who were starting to get, have the same ideas that I was having that, wow, you know, this is going to become very important. I don't really know how to put it all together, but I want someone to help me and, and coach me through it. And so fast forward to today, um, you know, I think that we've come a long way. I think that there's definitely a lot more awareness in the industry and there are a lot more financial advisors who know that it's important. You know, mm-hmm. they need to be out there. They need to understand these tools and how to communicate and really meet the, the expectations of their clients and their prospects. But I still see a big, I guess, the vast majority of financial advisors falling into this camp of, more of the, the the automated approach, the science, I'll call it, mm-hmm. uh, versus the art. You know, the the automation, the plug and play, the generic financial content. Um, so, hey, you know, I'm glad to see the industry 
doing something. I'm glad they're getting out there. I'm glad they're getting their feet wet and they're learning this this new way of of communicating and networking with people. But uh, you know, I still think we have a long way to go. Yeah, and I would agree. I mean, from my observations and so far as we talk about the wirehouses acceptance and usage, but it tends to still be very much focused on the brand level as opposed to the individual level. And the areas where we've seen the greatest growth in our end have been really on the insurance side um, or on the smaller broker-dealer or the mid-market um, broker-dealers or you know individual RIAs and independents that are out there that are, are leveraging social. So it, it's really... You could say, hey, we've come a long way in five years, but we still have a long way to go. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I get really excited when the advisor comes, an advisor comes to me and they're the real deal. I mean, they really want to, they've got a story and they've got ideas and they've got opinions and they want to put them out there Mm -hmm. into the world. Mm -hmm. And they, they want to be an influencer. And that's, the kind of client that I work best with. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't even work with with financial professionals anymore who don't get it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not my role in the world to convince them of the value or, or why it's important. Um, I just don't spend my time doing that anymore. But it, there, what's encouraging to me is that and you do find this more on the independent side that those advisors, I think many financial advisors are entrepreneurial, but on the independent side where they are able to have their own brands, they can really personalize their brands. That's where I see um, probably the most, the, the higher levels of adoption, mm-hmm. if you will. Well, and I think one of the things that, that was a differentiator as well is that you've always been a very strong proponent of individuals creating their own creative content, um, a big push for having blogs, you know, so that, so that, yeah, social profiles are important, but you also want to have your own creative voice to having that foothold, if you will, and that footprint in the digital space so that people would come to you perhaps through a social network or you'd amplify the stuff that you're creating on your blog through the social, through, uh, from your blog into the social networks, if you will, to push it out. Yeah, I mean, we follow people, influencers, because of who they are. We know their stories. We can relate to their stories. And because of how they think. They think about the the leaders that you follow, that you admire, that you love, that who resonate with you. Um you know, it could be a religious leader, it could be a politician, it could be uh, just some a, a celebrity or somebody who's very well known, a business leader. So that's the whole idea, um, in my opinion, is it's it's so critical to create your own content and and or at the very least have a uh, have a situation or a a system where you are it's very clear what your angle is, what your perception is. I'm sorry, your perspective and what you think about it, you know, and that's a lot different than just churning out uh, educational financial content. It's, it's just completely different. So it's, I think there's a, there's a, a canned content uh, revolution 
coming in this industry. It will be slow coming, but as content becomes easier to create and publish, uh, I think more and more financial advisors will have the confidence to put their ideas out there. The other thing about a content strategy is it, it completely fuels the social media strategy. Without the content, you don't really have anything to distribute and to create engagement or conversation around. But what we have found is that you can't really have a great content strategy if you don't have a great business strategy. So it really starts with the advisor's business and what their value proposition is and who they serve and how they're different, how they think. And it's this idea of creating content that um, allows your perfect client, your ideal client, to really get to know you as if they were sitting in the same room with you. That's, that's and that's what drives social media success. That's really great. I mean, um, something we hear a lot from, from advisors and other financial professionals is they, they, they see that blank box staring at them and they say, what am I supposed to, what am I supposed to post here? What am I supposed to share? And, and you, hit, you hit the nail on the head. You got to take a step back and say, okay, you should, you should have some content that you want to be sharing. There should be some you know, thought leadership stuff, research, whatever it is. And, and I actually hadn't heard um, that additional point you added on to that, which is take a step back from that and say, who am I? What is my business? Who are my clients? What are the problems I'm trying to solve? And if you answer that, then the, the questions that you were asking before will be, will be easier to answer. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what leads to developing a really strong content strategy. It starts there. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of work. I mean, you really do have to do some, some critical thinking. Um, and, and the way we do it is with a conversation, you know, with the advisor and really go deep. I, you know, I want to know who they are. I really want to understand them as a, as a human being and what their story has been up to this point and build from that. Uh, and then all of that will kind of infuse into the way that they think about financial markets, about financial planning, about financial problems that they're trying to solve for their particular ideal client. Yeah, you know, and there's still, I think, sometimes, and, and we face up against this because that is the best practice that we, you know, we spend quite a bit of time working with our clients when it comes to the onboarding process. So, you know, they can come at it and looking from a business perspective and wanting to provide a social solution for their advisors or their agents or their wholesalers. And, um, and they come with it, you know, and saying we want to give them access in a compliant fashion so that they can actually start doing and distributing content. Um, but then in working with them is us asking a lot of the questions regarding the types of content that they plan on sharing. Is that appropriate? What is the best practice? And finding that right mix of professional content versus personal content and kind of coaching them through that because it's not alone. You know, you can't just having access to social doesn't make you social. And it's understanding exactly what the rules of engagement are going to be for each of these different organizations. And they all kind of want to benchmark against each other. Um, and, and, mm -hmm. it's a, and it's an evolving process. So I know that you work a lot with people and, and helping them through that process. I'm just kind of curious as to, you know, are you seeing any trends or, or success, if you will? What's working for you when it comes to trying to share and have them understand that? 
Well, you know, I really try to, to coach advisors on understanding the value, and it's, it's really what are you leaving on the table? You know, what's the opportunity cost of not going down this path? Um, because if you're in business as a financial advisor, you want to build your credibility. You know, you want to earn trust. You want your clients to refer you more people just like them. These are all good things for your business, and these are all things that you can accomplish uh, if you do this right. But as you alluded to earlier, it's, it's difficult. It's so challenging because it is so much of it is art mm-hmm. versus science. Mm-hmm. And that's why if you just sign up for the science and you just start cranking stuff out, it doesn't really work. You know, you're not going to get the, the, that traction where you, you're an influencer. People really like you and they feel like they know you and they begin to trust you. You know, that's where the business starts to happen from all of this, as you know. And so in terms of success, the advisors who do the best at this are the ones who, who really get that, you know, they want to be a thought leader. They want to put their opinions and ideas and insights out there. They're creating content, they're blogging, they're creating videos. Mm-hmm. Um, not many are, are podcasting yet, but I can see that uh, maybe happening in the near future, mm-hmm. but they're, they're committed to content creation. They're committed to showing up in social networks and spending the time. And that's, what it takes, you know, and that's what where we see, you know, the advisors we work with, those who have the, the most success, um, they realize that this is about building equity over the long term. It's not about a silver bullet and a, a quick win or a quick hit. Mm-hmm. And they're committed to growing their reputations, growing their influence, and doing what it takes to accomplish that. Yeah, and in one of the earlier podcasts that we had done when I was in Atlanta, I sat down with Christian Andre, and and she echoed exactly the same thing with her, the people that she works with, insofar as that it being more of a long term strategy, something you need to continue uh, adding to it. But with each you know new piece of content, especially if it's an individual thought leadership piece or something that really differentiates them, um, it's really getting away from that canned messaging. I mean, all of us can easily pull from the same third-party content providers, you know, CNBC, Fortune. Right. We can all do that. But what is it that makes that individual unique? And that's part of the messaging. Um, we had a, a call with Pat Hume of Trapit, uh, which is one of our content exchange partners. It was a webinar that we recorded. And at the end, you'll find this amusing, perhaps. At the end, when we were doing the Q&A, we got a question from what sounded like it was coming from a wholesaler. And what they wanted to know was how could we possibly automate the distribution of content such that at a touch of a button, the brand could immediately leverage the social media platforms of all their employees so that they would send out their messaging through their employees. And I remember just cringing when I got that question because it was like, you, you just don't get it. <laughs> I mean, that, that would be the worst thing you can do. Because in essence, you're just creating right. this corporate spam, mm. you know. So sometimes we're up against, you know, the I would say, the the um, kind of the n- not understanding, if you will, social media or trying to 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 make it something that it isn't. 
based on the lens of the way the traditional mediums, if you will, for communication and marketing, financial products and such. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those challenges. I think we just continue battling day to day. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we really ended up getting, we were fortunate, but it also fostered laziness in this industry. And I can say this because I was there, you know, 15 years in the, in the shoes of a financial advisor. Having all the canned content is great because you don't have to think, you know, you can just put a, uh, you know, back in the day, put a stamp on the, the envelope and an address and send it off or get out and get some people to a workshop or a seminar and you're, you've got your presentation in a box. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's fostered laziness. And for a long time, that was enough. That kind of content was enough from newsletters to seminars to uh, mailers and brochures and all that kind of stuff. But the problem is today, it's not. Because there is so much really high-quality information online today. I mean, you you obviously have to sort through it, and that's a huge challenge. But consumers are smarter. Investors are smarter. There's a lot of education out there online. And now you can't just compete on with financial education. Um, you have to compete on being a courageous content creator, being vulnerable, putting yourself out there, sharing what you really believe in, you know, as a human being, sharing your some personal things about yourself. So I call it, you know, creating this delicate balance between the personal and the professional. And I'll tell you who does a, who does a fantastic job of it is Sally Krawcheck, hmm. who was once the, the head of Merrill Lynch Wealth Management and left that role. Uh, you know, there's a she says she was fired, and she's very public about that. But what's so cool about her is that she weaves something personal into almost every piece of content that she puts out there. Uh, she'll talk about, you know, her son went through a really uh, terrible illness when he had graduated. I think it was from college. And how it just made her realize she had just spent so much time on the wrong things and how important and valuable her, her family was to her. Um, you know, she's talked openly about what really went down with her position as an executive at a, you know, one of the largest financial institutions in the country. And she, she weaves in these personal details. Even her LinkedIn profile says, you know, I'm a crazed UNC basketball fan and a mom. <laughs> and that's right alongside her professional headline. <laughs> I think that's brilliant, and I think that is what you have to harness in order to really get the traction with blogging, social media, any of the science that you can put to work for you today. Yeah, Sally, Sally Krawcheck is certainly one of, one of the more advanced social, digital uh, users out there. I think she came up on a past interview, didn't she, Victor? Yeah, it was with Meg. Uh, we, were, we, we met with Meg Lenhart, who writes for... Uh, wealthmanagement.com and rep magazine and she the, the name came up again sally's name came up so we've got a little bit of a theme here we'll see we'll see well so you let me know um if you can get sally on your show we'll try to see if we can get her on our <laughs> show maybe we'll do a joint show yeah <laughs> it'd be great to have her she'd be, she'd be great the, the cool thing too is that 
you know, you can go look at her, her profiles and everything she has out there. She's not optimizing for SEO. You know, she's not trying to play with keywords or stuff keywords. She's, she's really not doing any of the tactical stuff that may work today and won't work tomorrow. It's all about the message. It's Mm -hmm. all about the content. And that's what we were talking about earlier, that that's really what creates the success with all of this. And I'm just a huge believer in that. Yeah, I think you've always been a big believer in content, which is one of the things that that you know stuck with me. Um, one thing that I remember you saying, and I've repeated this you know number of times, was the whole idea about you know being a huge proponent of owning your own real estate uh, on the social sphere in the digital space by having a blog with a unique URL that points to you and building that up and. You know that when it comes to the social networks, we're kind of leasing the space, we're borrowing it. But you own your That's blog, right. you own your website. You've always been very strong supporter of that, and I agree completely. Um, you know, so do you see people actually understanding that message? Are they are they are they following? I guess you could say that that message and and understanding exactly what we're trying to say here. Yeah, I do. I think that there is inherently an understanding about this in the industry. Um, So the challenge becomes, okay, well, I either have to create this content on my own, and if you've got the talent, if you're a decent writer, if you're good on on camera, you know, you're comfortable in front of a video camera, or you're comfortable in front of a microphone, which I would think most advisors are because they, they love to talk, you know, um, you've got to either create that content on your own or you've got to hire some help to, to help you create the content and run the system. And so it comes down to uh, making an investment, you know. And so that's where I think, you know, we hear about uh, it's, they're, they're afraid, it's too regulated, I'm afraid I'm going to mess up. But I, I think the real issue is the time making this a meaningful business practice, you know, making it a a new part of your business where maybe you let go of an old practice that is no longer, uh, you know, driving visibility for you or revenue or profitability and putting your resources into something that's going to build you equity for the future. I mean, these digital assets that you own that you're talking about, Victor, they are real assets. Mm -hmm. They are real business assets that can have a value. So I think I heard um, Ted Jenkins was telling me that, you know, Wealthfront, which is a quote-unquote robo-advisor, you know, you don't work with a human being, that they were – they've got about a billion dollars under management – uh, 25 basis points, you know, that's the, the, uh, the fee. Mm-hmm. And they were recently valued at 700 million. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that valuation has to do with their digital positioning, you know, their branding, their acquisition strategy, getting, um, their use of technology, the leverage, the scale. So these are powerful assets, and they're real assets, but you do have to build them and put the time and, and, and potentially an investment into building them. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and you mentioned, I was curious because you did mention RoboAdvisor, and that's something that's been kind of an ongoing topic, and we've had discussions with various thought leaders about, you know, the potential, quote, unquote, threat of the RoboAdvisor. And I was just kind of curious, based on your experience and, you know, and servicing your clients, what, what are your thoughts? Is the RoboAdvisor a threat, or is there an opportunity? Um, I don't think that it's as much of a threat as maybe, you know, the media uh, would make out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, remember when $7 trades came into being and, uh, you know, financial advisors, we all thought, oh, my gosh, you know, how are we going to make a a living? And we evolved Um, and, and we adopted a different model. So I think there is a lot to be learned from the these robo advisor firms that you can integrate into your own practice. Um, it's yet to be seen if in the first major downturn that we have, uh, I don't know how you keep people invested without having those human conversations. You know, I don't know how you keep clients on track during difficult, volatile times. And so that will be their biggest challenge. I don't know that all of them will survive. And I'm just a big believer in, you know, money is such an emotional thing. It's just so difficult to master because of the way we're wired as human beings. We're going to mess up. We're not going to always make the right decisions. So having a coach, having a guide, an advisor is so critical to success. So I don't see the financial advisor, the role of the financial advisor ever going away. Mm-hmm. What I do see is robo, these robo advisor firms driving down, uh, you know, increasing transparency in the industry and compressing margins, maybe more so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. You know, my, my take on robo advisors is, as you said, it hasn't, has yet to be tested in a bear market and it's certainly easy to yeah. allocate, you know, your assets if, if everything's going, you know, in the right direction. But I kind of think about it like I think about WebMD. Uh, you know, if I have a symptom or so, I may go just to get information to look up exactly, you know, about an illness or about a particular, particular symptom if I'm concerned. But, you know, if, I, if I'm really concerned, I'm going to go see a doctor. You know, I'm not going to base my decision on what's online uh, on a WebMD where they really know nothing about me and my, you know, where I live and my patterns and, you know, the, the, the diet that I have and how much I exercise. There I'm going to go to a professional. And, and I think as people's situations get more complex or let's say the market takes a turn, you're going to want to talk to somebody um, because yeah. no algorithm is going to protect you from yourself. <laughs> uh, that's right. You know, so that's that's kind of my take on it. And I do see that there could be, as you said, certain efficiencies that come with it. So there could be an opportunity for advisors to leverage, if you will, some of the tools uh, from the robo advisor that they offer. But when it comes right down to it, uh, people need to talk to other people and have that relationship. Yeah, I mean, I think even most of the studies show that what clients want most is that communication. They want more frequent communication from their financial advisor. So that, my gosh, I mean, leveraging content and blogging and social media is a great way to scale your communications with your client base. I mean, for nothing else, that's a great use of these 
these digital tools that mm-hmm. we have access to. Mm-hmm. So looking towards the future, because here we are, you know, tail end of the year, 2015 is just around the corner. So I'm kind of curious, you know, in light of your experience, in light of you working with your clients and being one of the leading thought leaders in the financial social media space, where do you see this going if you had to crystal ball it over the course of the next, you know, year to the next five years? Hmm. That's a great question. You know, I haven't really given a lot of thought to where we might be uh, in the next five years. I think that it's only going to be more difficult the longer you wait to get involved because it's, it's just not going to be a choice at some point. And it's already affecting your business, whether you feel it or not. So it's also probably going to be more expensive. Um, You know, we've seen within the social networks where you could get organic reach and visibility very easily. And as it's become more crowded and as, and more noisy and as these social media platforms have, or companies have gone public, um, you know, they're in the business of, of generating revenues and profits. Uh-huh. And so I think the little guy will get pushed out eventually of even, even being able to uh, afford to pay for visibility and traffic on, uh, from these social networks. It's kind of like what happened with Google pay-per-click ads uh, you know, it, they worked great and they were super effective and they were affordable uh, 15 years ago, 10 years ago. Now it's uh, prohibitive. You know, you've got to have a budget of at least $10,000 a month to even get anywhere with that. So there's still a huge window of opportunity with leveraging social media to get, and I look at social media as not only a place to to build smart networks and strengthen connections and relationships, but also as a place to it's distribution. You know, it's a it's where you can showcase your thought leadership and create engagement and conversation around that. Create traffic and attract traffic back to your website. So these things are just going to get tougher. Um, to accomplish over the next five years, it's going to be more crowded. More advisors are, are jumping on. Um, so that's what I think. What about you? Oh, well, good question, right? Threw so it right back, back at Christ. you. <laughs> Did a little judo move on me. Yeah, I like this. There's a boomerang. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> question was a question. I, I think you know, and this is kind of a collective of the conversations we're having. But my own thoughts is that. You know, the digital space is going to become a, a much more important part of an advisor's book of business and managing their marketing message, but marketing their own personal brand. Um, we're starting to see it. And, and, you know, of course, I'm close to it insofar as coaching Kim, as you know, as an advisor, Tech Girl Financial, in providing her guidance insofar as seeing the things that she's doing. And she's starting to add a lot more video and she's starting to get some traction there. She also, in narrowing her focus to the niche market of women in technology, it's allowed her to find, you know, that specific customer base that she's looking to attract, and it's helping her build her business much quicker. Um, she's creating, you know, creative content both through video and blogs. 
so she's she's writing and she's distributing this and uh, and then she's become a big fan of Twitter. I convinced her to look into Twitter. She started using it now. She's connecting on a regular basis with Brian Westbury and Bob Carey of First Trust. So she's getting in front of thought leaders and sharing ideas. Um, it was through Twitter. I think she developed a relationship with Michael Keatsis as well. You know, so there's that camaraderie. Mm-hmm. That, you know, since she works as an independent and she's not going to a branch, yet she's finding like-minded individuals that share pretty much the same approach to business through social networks. So I, I see it breaking down barriers as it relates to time zones, uh, people finding, if you will, their particular. I've heard you say the word. We all big fans of Seth Godin is finding their tribes. So I think that right. through social and digital technologies, it's going to become a lot easier for people to build books of business that are really shared values, um, that that have kind of the same approach to life, uh, lifestyle uh, preferences, and the things that they enjoy, so that it becomes less of a job and more some more of a lifestyle, something that they enjoy doing, serving clients of like-minded individuals and making it much easier to find them based on the long tail that the internet provides and being able to differentiate and, you know, find those pockets of people that you can, that can be part of your tribe. So what, what I foresee, I say in the next couple of years is people are really having these aha moments, you know, in understanding exactly the value that social can add to their business and how much easier it is to scale that messaging through these platforms. Um, and I just think it's going to be, you know, one at a time. And in our case, we see it, you know, with companies that introduce it to their advisors. And from that advisor base, let's say there's a thousand advisors that there's going to be that 10 to 15 percent that really get it and that they're using it and it's based on the success of that 10 to 15 percent that it grows to 25 to 50 percent and it's slowly this catalyst that just kind of evolves into people getting it having that aha moment and then reaping the benefits of, of having that present so um i see it as an evolution you know as, as opposed to a revolution mm-hmm. and it's something that i think we just need to continue to feed uh, and eventually, you know, we'll get there. And then once we get to that point, and this is where I, where everybody has access, much like they have access had didn't have access to email, they have it now. Uh, much like they didn't have access to websites, and now they have it. I think that we're going to reach a certain point in social where beyond that, they have to differentiate themselves. And so when we had our discussion yeah. with Ted Jenkins, you know, you look at other ways of communicating, like text-based messaging. Uh, creative content creation, um, and those things that are going to differentiate to take people to that next level. So that's that's kind of where I see it, and I'm just happy and thrilled to be part of it uh, on on this end. Yeah, I agree that you know differentiation is going to be critical. Personal branding, um, really getting your perspective out there, specializing, uh, whether it's a, a you know, a subject matter expertise that you focus on or it's a, a specific target market, some kind of spe- specialization will be really important. It's already important today. And uh, the other thing that I didn't mention was mobile. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I saw a statistic the other day that 65% of emails are opened on a mobile device now. And so... You know, it could be that the emails you're sending out are not even responsive on a mobile device, meaning they're not, you can't read them. We all get emails like that where you've got to pinch the phone, you've got to make it bigger. Um, so I think having a mobile presence 
and learning how to use these social tools for sharing and connecting through your mobile device is the next level for financial advisors. And some of them may skip a level altogether. You know, they may skip the, the desktop management of their social media and their digital presence and pick it up uh, and start to adopt it with mobile. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's a learning curve as well, but it's going to be so important, I think. Yeah. Well, I asked you about your predictions, if you will, of 2015 and beyond in the industry. How about Wired Advisor and you? So what do you have in store for 2015? Oh, gosh, it's already that time, right? Yeah, to, uh, <laughs> I know. Put together, start thinking about next year. Yeah. Now, um, you know, I am really in the process of a, a subtle shift because my core message this this message of building digital influence and how to do it you know how to how to take the 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 psychology the technology and your your methodology you know those are kind of my three things how to put all that together to build influence and what are the levers you know how can you get that leverage and scale so that is my core work and it really resonates beyond the financial services industry. Um, and I've received significant feedback about this in the last year or so as I've gone to different conferences and had speaking engagements the, to more diverse audiences of professionals. So my message really is applicable to any business professional or entrepreneur who is trying to achieve more credibility online to win more clients, to earn more referrals through their digital presence. And so my plan is I'm really, uh, it's slow, you know, baby steps, but taking my brand in a direction that can help more people understand and implement this influence building process. That's great. That's that's wonderful, Stephanie. I I think, um, I'm I'm definitely gonna listen to more of your podcast episodes, and and de- we'll definitely give you a plug on our blog post for this one as well. Yeah, so we'll be sure to include all your contact information so far as your Twitter account, uh, your website, and also once again encouraging all our listeners to look you up on iTunes and Stitcher and listen to your program. You're bringing some outstanding speakers and thought leaders yep. to the space, and. Like I've been a fan for quite some time, as we had spoken earlier. Um, so tell tell us a little bit about what might be in store for the podcast, and you know, um, just how much fun it, has it been for you to create the show? Well, it's been a blast. Um, I saw the uh, the research about podcasting. I knew it was going to really take off about a year ago, and I didn't get myself together with it until um, I think it was summer when I launched. The Wired Advisor podcast, but I think it's really coming alive, and I think podcasting is where blogging was ten years ago. Uh-huh. You know, that's what you hear, and uh-huh. I agree because it's still a little bit clunky, a little bit cumbersome, a little bit challenging. But I love it. I love it better than video because there are more variables involved in creating videos, right? Um. I'm a singer-songwriter, and so I I understand 
the technology. I understand the equipment, the software. Um, I love being in front of a microphone. Now, I don't necessarily love getting up and singing and playing a guitar in front of, uh, you know, a whole bunch of people because I'm, I'm shy about that. But uh, I'm more of like a recording type of artist, singer-songwriter. So um, I love it. I plan to continue with podcasting. I don't know um, what my angle will be, you know, long term. But for now, um, I'm having fun, you know, finding interesting people in this industry who are thought leaders, who are innovators, and having them on the show. And if I kind of run out or I feel like, gosh, you know, I've really tapped all of the brains that, that I wanted to tap, then I don't know, you know, we'll just take it from there. So I've committed to doing a certain number of episodes. And then uh, it's funny because, and, and you guys might have this same experience. It's funny what has been popular and it's, it's a variety of episodes that have been popular. So I can't say, Oh, you know, every time I've had a financial advisor on it's, that's been super popular because that hasn't been the case every time I've had a financial advisor on, but one or two of those episodes have done really well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, then I'll do some tutorial episodes and some of those will take off and some of those don't. So I'm still learning. It's a, it's a great feedback tool to, to figure out what is the market interested in? What do they want to hear about? Yeah, and I think that uh, we've been going through the same exercise. I was looking at some of our download numbers and, not so much on the numbers, but the geographic distribution. Uh, we have people mm. from Japan, Switzerland, Chile, China, uh, mostly the U.S. and Canada. But it's just been really interesting for me to take a look at where these downloads are coming from and the formats. And as you said, monitoring which of the shows seem to get the most engagement or downloads as well. And, you know, we're using that information and hopefully it'll be uh, helpful for us to help us with our programming uh, going forward. Um, what what has been surprisingly you know, encouraging is this Employee Spotlight series where we're highlighting individuals within our organization and the, the level of engagement we're getting there. And, you know, we like to joke that it's, it's just the family members of these employees that just keep listening over and over <laughs> and downloading. But the fact is that that illustrates, you know, that there is that interest level. And so um, it it provides us the guidance to understand the kind of content we want to share. Yeah. And I also think, Victor, in this industry that, uh, you know, when I first launched the Wired Advisor podcast and I sent out that message everywhere to my email list, across social channels, on the blog, and I got so many questions on how do I, how do I get this podcast? You know, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Um, how do I get it on my phone? And so I don't think that many uh, financial advisors out there really know how to access and download, easily access and download pod- podcasts on the go in their car, on their phones. Uh, so there's, you know, some teaching to be done there. Mm-hmm. I think in the future, there will be more listeners. I think I think so too. In the and, industry. and I'll tell you one of the things that I like about it um, is the fact that I know we're getting new listeners that might be finding us, you know, in episode, you know, in this case it's episode eighteen, and so we'll have people that will discover us at episode eighteen, and yet they'll go back and listen to the episodes previous, perhaps, and they'll download those. So 
one of the things that I like about the podcast as opposed to, say, the blog is that the shelf life of the broadcast itself can be longer. There's that long tail to it where people will go back to previous episodes to listen in. Uh, you'd probably be less inclined if you were discovering this as a blog post to read back, you know, three months worth of blog posts if you went backwards. Oh, that that's so true. Mm-hmm. And And the other thing is, you know, how long have we been talking here? At least a half hour. You know, to to get to be in someone's ear for that long and have them listening to you, to your voice, to your personality, to your perspective, to your passion versus reading that on a screen, there's just no comparison. You, You don't get someone's attention on your website for a half hour. Yeah. Well, that's what kind of convinced... So that part of it is super powerful. Absolutely. And it's part of what convinced me just because I was consuming more podcasts and I was enjoying the format because, like I said, it's you're typically doing something else while you're listening to a podcast. You might be working out, walking the dog. Um, you might be commuting as I do. And it's really makes me feel more productive. So, you know, once again, we highly recommend check out Wired Advisor on iTunes and Stitcher and um stephanie we both want to thank you so much it's been an inspiration you know to help us and validate what we were doing here on our own podcast and uh we wish you the best in 2015 thanks stephanie thank you both so much i really enjoyed being on so great conversation with stephanie it was so good having her on the line yeah it was great you know from the standpoint of one one thing that i love about doing this, Ronnie, is the fact that some of these people, like I said, I've known Stephanie for for a while now. I've listened to her podcast religiously. Uh, I read what she writes, and and yet we still are learning new things. Uh, So I didn't know she was a teacher. Before, you know what I mean? I was <laughs> that talking, was I cool. I mean, yeah. it, it reminds me of um, pe- some people at our own company. It reminds me, Victor, you, you've had a, quite a winding path um, through financial services to social media, and so it was nice hearing a just that diverse background. And and we, you know, you could say that we were kind of cut from the same cloth from the standpoint of both having worked in the industry, both seeing the light as far as digital technologies. You know, we worked together for, for a short time period. And and then in addition to that, just, you know, there's very little that she'll write or she'll say that I wouldn't be commentating, you know, and backing yeah. her up and, and vice versa. So a real mutual respect for the work that she's doing. And once again, I know we've said it countless times, Check out her podcast. Uh, she's bringing you know incredible thought leaders, people who are very focused in this industry and in financial social media, but very focused in financial services. You know, so it's not just social media; it's thought leaders who are really making contributions to this industry. Um, and so, we hope you enjoyed the show with Stephanie. Uh, wanted to once again remind everybody to continue using uh, hashtag HS on Air on Twitter. So as we start looking towards 2015, we really want to use your feedback to help us drive the content and the types of guests we bring on. Hopefully you're enjoying the Employee Spotlight Series. So with that, once again, Ronnie, we want to let everybody know that uh, coming up shortly in a few episodes, we're going to have our CEO and co-founder Clara Shai on the podcast. We're excited to have her and to understand exactly, you know, part of the vision for the next year. So it's going to be a good one. It's it's going to be one you don't want to miss. Uh, every, every conversation I have with Clara is fun and exciting. So it'll be great. So during this time period when people are uh, 
gathering with their families and sitting around in the fire, you know, why not just throw in the Clara podcast, you know, listen with your family, everybody, good time. I mean, you know what I mean? It's one of those things that just brings people together. We'll make it heartwarming. <laughs> we, we might even light a fire here, right? You like warm it up and create, you know, an environment here. Sing Christmas carols together. I don't know. <laughs> I'm kidding. Anyway, we really hope uh, that you'll tune in for that show. But once again, we want to thank you for your support, for your comments, for your downloads. And we certainly do appreciate you listening in. So this is Hearsay Social on the Air. I'm Victor Gaxiola. I'm Ronnie Kerr. And we'll see you on the next show.